You are listening to the testimony of Galvin Lewis. For more information, please visit danieljfriend.com forward slash the testimony. Previously on the testimony. Johnny, if you and me can distract him enough, then August and Chris can get in there quietly and swipe them without him ever knowing. Get back here, you rascals! I don't even like peaches. The guilt over the peaches that still eats at you should be proof enough that you know right from wrong. He said the guilt still eats at me. But why? Why is it wrong? They were someone else's peaches. You knew that. So you're saying it's wrong because I broke a rule. I'm saying it's wrong because you decided to play God and make your own rules. But he's so close to destroying the tumor. Don't you get it? That's what's causing everyone to lose their minds. She was speaking nonsense. Is it nonsense? Everyone who we've told to destroy it have destroyed their minds too. Perhaps she's right. Maybe it's not a tumor, but something more necessary to maintain sanity. If you need any extra blankets, there's some in the closet. I can't thank you enough for your hospitality. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here for as long as you want to stay. I don't know how long that'll be. I'll need to figure out what my next steps are from here. There's no rush for you to decide. In the meantime, get a good night's rest, and I'll have breakfast ready for you in the morning. Monty smiled and closed the bedroom door. Penny turned to the duffel bag on her bed and unzipped it. The Uberman device sat on top of all her clothes. She pulled it out, sat down in a chair, and then placed it over her eyes. When Penny awoke in the memoryscape, she found herself beneath a canopy of brilliant green vines. She sat upright on a stone bench, carved from the wall and cushioned with some pillows. Her face appeared as though it was refreshed from a perfect night's rest. Penny took in a deep breath of the air and smiled at its freshness. Chirping birds echoed through the clear spring sky clouded only by a small mist hovering over a distant mountain. Out of nowhere, a young boy raced past Penny. She turned toward him to see that he ran after a group of other children. Penny walked along the terrace to investigate their play until she came to the steps leading up the magnificent tower. Amidst a large group of frolicking children, she saw a young version of herself, perhaps nine or ten years old, who sat on the steps playing tic-tac-toe with a young boy who had a cast on his leg. Penny smiled at the memory. Penny? Her euphoria at the recollection was cut short. She looked up to see a man running down from the top of the tower. His wire hair caught in the breeze as if he too had just been awoken. As he came closer down the stairs, his identity became unmistakable by the small, oval spectacles bouncing on the tip of his nose with every step. I can't believe this works. Henry ecstatically grabbed Penny's arms. It's you. Uncle Henry? It's actually you. My goodness, he was right. He wrapped his arms around his niece, and he pushed him away. What's going on? Is this a dream? No, it's me in the flesh. Henry thumped his chest. Well, not the flesh per se, but it's my consciousness. I assume that you're using an Uberman device? Penny nodded. As am I. But I thought that a memoryscape couldn't be shared. Clearly we were wrong about that. We were wrong about a lot of things. 
Henry sat down on one of the steps and crossed his arms. I'm so sorry, Penny. I should have listened to you. About what? Henry turned around and looked up at the hypercube in the center of the tower, with its rays of light beaming out into the horizon. It's not a tumor. It's an organ. August isn't the first one who you pushed over the edge, is he? No. Henry buried his face in his hands. Is that who everyone in B3 is? Yes. I didn't want you to find out. I thought they might recover quickly. How many are there? Six. Seven, including August. Why did you do it? Why did you keep telling people to destroy it, even though it was driving them insane? Henry looked up to his niece. It was Roarwood. He kept pushing me to do it. He was confident that we would find the next evolution of humanity if we kept looking. I told him I wasn't having any luck with it, but he told me to keep trying. He was especially optimistic about August. He was certain that August was the one. He still is, in fact. You're the one in charge of the project. Why didn't he trust you? I might have been assigned to it, but make no mistake, it's Roarwood's project. It's been his mission since day one of his appointment to the head of the department. Why is he so devoted to it? All I know is that he's been obsessed about it since he was involved in the post-war negotiations. He got a hold of the earlier technology that the neocomps were beginning to use on a large scale in Australia. I always assumed that he just saw the potential for helping people, but now I think there's more to it than that. I don't know why he thinks the cube thing needs to be destroyed, and I don't know why he's so fixated on August. What do you mean he's fixated on August? He was the one who connected me to Washington Memorial. He told me to pitch the trial to August, and he was confident that August would do it, with the same confidence that he thinks August is going to come back to the HHS, and I don't know what he thinks will happen after that. The day that I left, I found Roarwood in his office using an Uberman when he was supposed to be out of town. Do you know what that was about? Henry nodded. I think it has to do with the glowing box. It's like a door to another dimension. Like a portal? No, nothing that ridiculous. Well, perhaps. I mean, that it allows a person to transcend the boundaries of space in a way that's unimaginable, which I suppose one could call a portal. But regardless, as I was just now exploring my memoryscape out of my own curiosity, I was approached by a man that August had described during his therapy. The man in gray? Yes, and the man brought me to the object and said it would allow me to access you, and here I am, in your mind. Did August say anything about someone named Weston? As a matter of fact, he did. Beside the man in gray, that was the other odd figure that he said he saw in his memories. Why do you ask? When we saw Roarwood in Nashville a few days ago, he said that name. Oh. Henry pushed back his glasses. I do believe that gives credence to my hypothesis. Secretary's full name is Julian Weston Roarwood. So Roarwood has found a way to use that object to access August's mind? Henry nodded. But I still don't see what his plan is in all of this. I've tried figuring that out, but he keeps hiding something from me, and he's always 12 steps ahead. I tried alerting the administration, but he has everyone there wrapped around his finger. Congress is so busy that almost no one will talk to me. I got a hold of one staffer on the House Oversight Committee, and we set up a meeting. But the day of, he cancels without explanation. Did you try the FBI? 
I made an anonymous phone call from an anonymous number. They were willing to set up a meeting, but the next day I found a note on my front door. From Roarwood? Presumably. It said that if I told the FBI anything, you'd be dead. They don't even know where I am. I got rid of the scroll that they were tracking. How did he know I contacted the FBI? How did he cancel my meeting with a house staffer? Henry stood up and held on to Penny. You have to trust me. Somehow, Roarwood has eyes everywhere and you're not safe. I don't care if I'm safe or not. If we don't stop him, I'm afraid that there'll be a lot more people in trouble. You're right, but let me take care of that. You need to keep your head down and watch your back. How are you going to take care of that if he's always 12 steps ahead? By giving it my best shot. There's a shipment of devices that are going to arrive in the States. I'm going to destroy them. It won't solve the whole problem, but it would at least set back Rorwood's plans. I'm going to help you. No. Yes, I'm going to get on a plane for Los Angeles tomorrow. You already knew about the shipment? Penny nodded. Okay, then let's plan to meet up tomorrow afternoon. Do you remember the yellow house from your childhood? Yes, I'll see you there. Penny smiled and hugged her uncle. The sea effortlessly carried August along its infinite back. He laid there, floating to and fro as the current below destined. He seemed not to care where he drifted. With his eyes shut, his heart beating slowly, and his lungs pumping in fresh air, he had finally found some semblance of rest. But that was cut short when the waves brushed him up against something hard. He opened his eyes to find himself in the shadow of that hideous, fallen stronghold. The flood levels were lower. The valley was still very much a lake, but not quite so high upon the building. Its center was no longer buried beneath the water, but one could drift a few feet below the lowest intersecting point. August abandoned his restful pose and swam to one of the two propellers holding up the structure. He pulled himself over the edge of the building and into one of those two ugly slats that held the windows. August peered beneath the slanted glass that he stood above. Two yellow eyes of a hungry wolf looked back at him. August straightened himself and climbed onto the lip between the two floors. It was a narrow slip of concrete for him to stand on, but the angle of the fallen building gave him some room to stand on what traditionally would have been the sill of the window that jutted out a few feet into the air. He took a steady step forward toward the center of the building. The wolf traced his steps in the hallway below. August picked up his pace as he moved to the next window, but it was a bad decision. His foot got the edge and fell down into one of the window boxes. The glass cracked at his heavy landing. August began to stand back on his feet, but paused the moment he heard the glass beneath him. He was ready to give in at the slightest moment. August looked down through the window. The wolf was waiting for him like he was a coon caught in a tree. You better watch out, bud. August raised a fist and slammed it against the glass. He came crashing through the tilted hallway and tackled the vicious dog. The wolf let out an angry growl and went for a bite at August's arm. As the animal began to take hold, August shoved his arm through the back of its mouth and jumped forward toward the flood of water beneath him. The dog tussled in the water, uncertain of whether it wanted to keep from drowning or to tear apart its prey. August wasn't as torn about what to do. He took hold of the wolf's neck and forced its head beneath the surface of the water. The wolf struggled to break free of August's grasp, but it couldn't. After a minute, the tussling stopped. August let go and looked up the side of the hallway that had become its floor. Well, that's convenient. No one was there to hear him. He swung himself over into a slanted stairwell 
and slid down to catch himself on the top step, or bottom, depending on your perspective, which was just beneath the water level. August's face was against the floor that had fallen open during the building's tumultuous turn of events. He looked up and saw what no doubt he dreaded. Two paws clung to the frame of the door. August lowered himself below the door and thrust it upward. The latch shut and the wolf on the other side splashed back down into the water. The posture of the stairwell proved inconvenient for August, but not an inconvenience that he had too much difficulty in overcoming. It simply required him climbing a few floors, like he was a young boy climbing trees again. Once to the center of the tower, August climbed up to the exit using the door's handle as a step. As he stumbled into the hallway and found his footing, he froze. August turned his head. The devilish lion was prowling for his prey, and the hunt was afoot. He flicked his tail and made his move. August dashed ahead as if he were being chased by a possessed gorilla, though I suppose a famished lion is not much better. Dead ahead was the open door that led to the hypercube's room. At full throttle, August leapt for the opening. His hand clasped the handle. He reached up with his other hand and tried to pull himself into the room. But suddenly the lion latched onto August's left foot. He looked down and cringed at the sharp pain in the beast's claws, going deep into his leg. With the other foot, he kicked the animal's paw. The claws dug in deeper. August kicked again, and again. It did nothing. The lion let out another roar. And then... A white dove flapped its wings as it landed below the dangling pair. August looked down at it. The lion took a glance too. When it saw the dove, it let go of August's foot. As it fell downward, it reached out its paw to strike the bird. But the dove flew away from its grasp and through the doorway that August was hanging from. When August finally climbed into the chamber, he saw the dove sitting in the corner of the room. Hey, fella. Thanks for the rescue. He approached it slowly, but it was skittish and took off before he could come close. By the time it flew away, though, August's attention was on something else. Where the bird had been sitting was a small shard of a rustic dark jewel. August reached down and picked it up. For an instant, and only an instant, it glowed a bright gold. August stared at it in awe for a few moments before it was snatched from his hand. The shard flew away toward the center of the room. Hundreds of other scattered pieces flew around with it, all coalescing in the middle. Before August's eyes, his hypercube had returned. It was not radiant, it did not shine at all, but it was there. August walked up to the Tesseract. He touched it with a forefinger and made it spin slowly like a satellite in space. August? The brittle voice cried out from the corner of the room. Is that you? August turned around to see his father, pale and sickly, lying in a bed. Then? Oh, August. His face, frail as it was, lit up with a bright smile. August ran to the bedside. Patrick reached out his hand, and his son clasped it. I didn't think I would see you again. You see me? You can see me? No one told me you were coming home. But this is such a good surprise. I've missed you, son. Dad, what are you talking about? I don't remember this. Remember? I thought I was the one with the bad memory. You've been gone for a year and a half. How could you forget that? August stared at his father. Oh my. 
They said the Chinese had captured you. What did they do to you? That was seven... That was seven years ago. We were set free right before the war was over. By that time I came home, you... August paused. Patrick was the one with his eyebrows raised now. This isn't a memory. Come closer. Patrick pulled his son in and put his hand on August's cheek. My goodness, you have changed. And you're not really here right now, are you? I'm having another dream. Patrick let go of his son. It's as real for me as it is for you, Dad. That'll do. A dream with you in it is better than nothing at all. I do wish you'd come home, though. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried sick about you. August frowned. You don't need to worry about me. I'll be fine. You need to believe me. But I'm so worried that I'll never see you again. Whether I don't live or if you... I'm just worried that I'll never have the chance again to tell you how much... August squeezed his hand. I love you. And how much I'm sorry. For your whole life, I haven't been the father to you that I should have been. <clears throat> your mother has, and I'm so thankful for her. But I'm a failure, and I'm so, so sorry. No, that's not true, Dad. Patrick jerked his head up and looked him in the eyes. It is. Dad? I didn't love you the way that I should have. I didn't know how to love you. No. No. A tear ran down August's face. Yes. I didn't teach you to chase after truth with all of your heart. What are you talking about? Your mom tried. She taught you the best she could about right and wrong, just as she's taught me. But until late, I didn't realize how important it is. <clears throat> and now you're halfway across the world, probably being starved and beaten to death, and could use that hope more than ever, and I failed to give it to you. August shook his head. That's just, but that's not true. When Tracy and I- Oh no, that was different. I was right in what I did, but I did it for the wrong reasons. I didn't care so much about helping you learn what's right. I was watching out for myself. I didn't want another mouth to feed. But what about every, what about everything else you did? August squeezed his dad's hand and leaned in. What about teaching me to fish? Or play base playing baseball with me? Patrick shook his head. Those are good things. Good times. I don't regret a single one. And I wish there were more. <coughs> but if that's the best I've done for you, then I failed. Because there's so much more to life than what's under the sun. 
dead. August let go of his hand. Why are you so worked up about this? You were great to me. All those years, Monty tried telling me, and I wouldn't listen. What are you talking about? Good and bad, right and wrong, sin. I went along with it, but I never cared much for all that talk. Except when it suited me, like with Tracy. And then just a few weeks ago, thanks to Monty, it hit me like a bus. Dad, Mom had my... Dad, Mom had her way. And you had yours. There's nothing wrong with... Don't say that. <laughs> That's exactly why I said I was wrong. I realized that deep down, my whole life, I've known there is right and wrong. There's some things we all know are true, whether we want to admit it or not. And there's other things that have been taught to us generation after generation, and they've proven to be true. Family is good. Murder is wrong. Stealing is wrong. August paused. Even if you're right, what difference would it have made to me? What would you have done differently? The peaches. Goosebumps popped up all across Augie's arms as he stared at his father. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, actually. Back then, one of my old pals said he had seen you with your friends steal them from the old man at the market. He thought it was funny because the crank was always rude to him. So I didn't say anything to you. You ask me what I would have done differently? I would have confronted you about that instead of letting it go. I... I don't see what good... August glanced toward the hypercube and then back to his dad. That would have done. I didn't see what good it would do at the time either. And I don't know why it's been weighing on my heart so much recently either. But now I see the opportunity it was. I could have shown you how you were not in the right, but in the wrong. Of course, you would have already known that. August dropped to his knees and grabbed his dad's hand again. But I could have shown you that the sense in your heart which told you that you were wrong without me having to say anything <coughs> was pointing you to something higher. August closed his eyes and brought his head down to the hand he was holding with his father. To a source of everything that is right and noble and true and good and beautiful. Oh, I wish I could go back in time and tell you. The son looked up, but away from his father. His eyes were now more drenched than his clothes. The tears reflected a dim golden hue coming from the center of the room. I don't know how I could possibly explain this to you, but you have. You have told me 
Patrick smiled. I hope it's true. August looked at his dad and returned the smile. It is. It is dead. Hello, this is Daniel Friend, the writer and producer of The Testimony of Calvin Lewis. If you are enjoying this story and would like to help it succeed, please be sure to subscribe for new episodes, rate this show so that more people see it, follow us on Twitter or Facebook to stay up to date, and be on the lookout for the publication of the novel in fall 2022.